gonemobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Do you want to build your Xamarin Forms apps faster and with less bugs? Or maybe you keep on getting stunned by the same old issues in Xamarin Android development. Now you can with MFractor for Visual Studio Mac. MFractor makes Xamarin app development in Visual Studio Mac much easier. Use the Xamarin Forms code analysis and generation tools to make working with XAML a breeze. And take the sting out of Android development with resource IntelliSense or mobile-specific C-sharp code analyzers. MFractor will free up time for you to write the core app code that actually makes your business money. You can get started with MFractor today by visiting www.mfractor.com and downloading it now. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. So, John, I realize it, it's been, well, for one, I was looking back to see when the last time we did an episode on Reactive UI was, and, and it's been about almost five years to the dot. I guess it'll be even closer by the time this airs, um, which is also just a crazy reminder that we've been doing this for five years now. Yeah, it doesn't seem that long. And, you know, uh, I kind of had hoped maybe we'd have a few more episodes on the, you know, under our belt by now, but um at least we've been kind of consistently sticking around anyway, right? <laughs> you can't get rid of us. Yeah, I mean, we've had some like accidental lulls in there. Um, now we're just on this rampage of, of episodes every week, which is it's fun to get back into things. Um, but yeah, like I was just going through episode one again yesterday, listening to it. it just, it's crazy to think that was five years ago. But we were talking about things like I, I introduced that we'd be talking about Windows RT and you know, I was wearing yeah. my Pebble watch at the time and all sorts of things. that I was like, wow, that was a long time ago. It's a good reminder that, you know, the tech industry changes very rapidly. I mean, five years is, is an okay amount of time, but it's not that long, you know, in the grand scheme of things. So I think it's it's a nice reminder to see how quickly this space moves and, you know, there's always new content to cover. Exactly. But it's also pretty cool that five years has gone by and, and a topic like reactive UI is is still very relevant. Um, so, but given that it's been half a decade, I, I'd say we're, we're long overdue for, for a refresh on the topic. Um, you know, find out everything that's changed in the last five years. You know, I'd imagine, you know, it, it's still a, it's a thriving community um, and, every, and a project and everything like that. So, so I'm pretty excited to, to welcome Kent Bugart, who put out um, an awesome book, which I also have here just off of, off of camera. So uh, a, a really awesome and, and approachable book on, on reactive UI. So I'm, so I'm excited to, to talk through this. Thanks for joining us, Kent. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, John. <laughs> thanks for having me on. Uh, and thanks for the kind words about the book. Yeah, like in in my experience, like I mean, I've always I've always been intrigued by reactive and reactive UI, um, uh, and it, and it's been talked about, you know, like Paul, you know, flew the flag of reactive for a long time, um, you know, did a lot of really good talks on it, that sort of thing. Um, but it's always in in my impression, like gotten sort of categorized as something with a, a steep learning curve, and that was kind of hard to to come up to speed on, hard to really understand the paradigm. And, and what I personally enjoyed about sort of some of the approach that you took was, it, you know, through examples and things like that, tried to, to make it a little more practical. Um, and and I, I think that that was something that, that was kind of needed. Was that some of the idea behind how you put that book together? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think uh, user interfaces give a nice, uh, a nice practical starting point for people to understand the value of reactive programming because um, traditionally uh, you know learning reactive extensions um, is difficult because there's no real uh, context for people to to use to apply it to their everyday work um, so I think user interface development definitely gives that context 
And so, you know, we didn't talk about the name of the book yet, which is UI and Reactive UI. And, you know, I kind of like the the title of it, and I, I think it's pretty clever. It it does kind of give you that feel of like almost like a, a children's book or something where it's like, oh, I can learn how to do this too. Um, you know, like what, what kind of uh, effort did you put into finding that right title? Uh, you know what? That came up um, very late in the game. I, I was umming and ahhing over the title for a long time. Um, of course, I didn't have to make a decision until late in the game, so I'm, gl- <laughs> I'm glad I um, I'm glad I took my time coming up with that. Um, yeah, I, I quite like it as well. It's great. You know, it, it very much kind of makes it about the reader and, and them learning reactive UI. And, you know, one of the goals for the book was to be both something that that people read from front to back, um, but also can refer to after as a reference. And I, f- I feel like I've achieved that. Hopefully, that's the case. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds really, you know, welcoming to to kind of get into reading that. Um, so, you know, why don't we we kind of dive in here a little bit and just maybe you could give us a high level elevator pitch kind of overview of like what is Reactive UI. Yep, sure. So, I guess the very kind of high level overview is that it it provides a bridge between reactive programming with reactive extensions. Uh, and user interface programming. That that really is it. It, it pr- provides a means of taking this reactive world and bridging to the MVVM world. Of course, there's a lot that comes along with that, but that, that really is what Reactive UI provides. Uh, and I guess on top of that, it provides some uh, platform agnostic abstractions that you can use in the development of your user interfaces that are, you know, more or less consistent across every platform that it supports, which is a whole lot of platforms. Um, so you can learn one way of doing things and then apply that across uh, any number of platforms. And as part of that, I think it's worth trying to, to put wrap some sort of definition around reactive programming in general for anyone who might not be familiar with it or who might, you know, I mean, Rx in general has been around for a really long time. Like, I, you know, it, it had a lot of roots in the, the server side of things. Like, I think it's always... Like I was saying up front, like it, it, it's always had that connotation of a you know some advanced programming topic, and maybe not something that would really apply to like UI programming and 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 client side apps and things like that. So, so how would you describe reactive programming in general? So reactive programming, it's funny actually because I think most people think of it as being something uh, that they possibly haven't done, but I think most people have done it. Um, all reactive programming is is when your code reacts to something rather than having to interact with it. So for example, if you've ever hooked into an event, a .NET event, that's reactive code because you're reacting to that event. Um, likewise, if you've ever passed in a delegate to some uh, some component that will call you back on that delegate, that's reactive. Um, the difference between, I guess, reactive in that general sense and reactive in the sense of uh, reactive UI is that uh, reactive extensions pro- provides a formalization around this this way of pr- programming, around this way of being told when something has changed, rather than having to poll the source. So that that formalization, which consists of a number of interfaces and a number of uh, operators over those interfaces, is is what makes uh, reactive extensions different, I guess. And it, it also provides a means of um, taking this general this general idea of reacting to events and giving you a means of, of handling that 
consistently, regardless of the event, uh, and then providing a means of taking all these disparate events and tying them together uh, using these operators. So, I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, that we've done an episode on reactive UI many, many moons ago. Uh, and I'm curious, you know, you're talking about this formalization of, of kind of how this all fits together. Like, what, how, how has reactive UI actually evolved over the years? It seems like maybe this is something that's kind of uh, a prescribed formalization and, and you're kind of done, or, you know, is it something that you're reacting to things as the platforms that it kind of supports change and evolve to? So it's, I mean, I got involved around, I guess it was around 2013 um, in, a, in a kind of, um, actually it's probably a bit earlier than that, but more formally in 2013. But over the years, I know operators have been added to, so one of the things Reactive UI has to do is, as like I said, bridge this gap between MVVM and um, uh, the Reactive world. So that, that involves things like uh, taking properties and turning them into events turning events into properties, doing things like creating commands that are that have a reactive interface. A lot of this functionality has kind of, it, it kind of was there when I came on board and some of it, you know, just needed a bit of revamp. Um, some of it wasn't there, like interactions. These various abstractions that we have that work across platforms have also been tweaked, uh, improved um, to get more platform support, uh, more consistency. So yeah, I'd say it's a, it's an evolving framework, but nothing, you know, nothing massive has changed in the time I've been with it, which is you know a testament to to uh, how well fleshed out it was already. Mm -hmm. So it's been it's not that it hasn't evolved or you know it, it it's not that it's stagnated in the last five years. It's really just that it's been stable and a productive work environment. Yes, that's right. So I think. You know, there, there's going to be a lot of people who haven't haven't done reactive and haven't done reactive UI, um, or maybe are of that camp that you were talking about who who haven't thought about some of the normal paradigms that they even do, be it responding to events and delegates and stuff like that, as being reactive. Um, but a lot of people are familiar with the the MVVM pattern, especially as it's become prevalent through you know frameworks like MVVM Cross and MVVM Lite. Um, a lot of it's baked into things like Xamarin Forms. Um, how how does say that? traditional MVVM, for lack of a better term, compared to, to doing MVVM in reactive UI? Like how much of that translates across? A lot of it. Um, you're, you're still creating view models that, that have properties that will change when the view should update. Uh, the difference, I guess, is, is how those property changes are driven. Um, you know, in a, a traditional MVVM app, you might have your view model uh, hooking into a service that has a has an event, um, it might hook into some Bluetooth layer uh, that also is event driven or perhaps has callbacks, and so you're coordinating all these things uh, in a different way uh, to what you would using uh, reactive extensions. Um, but at the end of the day, you're still updating a property or you're you're still um, exposing a command that the the user will trigger execution of. Um, so to the view, everything looks the same. Um, but I guess the view model and, and uh, view model and lower uh, is taking advantage of a reactive design. So one of the things that kind of comes to mind when you talk about, you know, kind of bridging the world of, of events and how you consume them is, you know, a lot of these platforms like Android and iOS are pretty heavy, you know, event driven, or at least 
uh, and a lot of cases like the .NET kind of binding layer on top of them is is very event driven. You know what how, what kind of challenge does that present uh, when you're trying to sort of incorporate reactive UI into that where you don't really have control over the the source events and you know everything is just coming at you at a certain kind of API? Like what what does that look like in practice to deal with? Yeah, so reactive extensions has a number of factory methods, if you will, to take existing uh, reactive-based uh, interfaces and, and turn them into observables. Uh, and one of those, you know, one of those existing reactive interfaces is, of course, events. So you can give it an event and say, give me an observable that represents this event. Now, that does get really old really fast when you've got a million events. Um, so one of the things Reactive UI does is provide a, um, a tool that we can point at any .NET assembly and it will generate observables for all the events in that assembly. So instead of you having to, to do the kind of boilerplate code of, of passing all these events um, into the factory method, it just gives you this nice interface. Uh, it's actually an extension method on, on the type that, that has the event. So for example, if it's a button, you just use the, uh, use the button name and then dot events, and then on top of, uh, you know, dot off of that, and you get all the events as observ observables. Is that a tool that you would run, say, ahead of time and put the generated code into just into your project? Or is it part of the, the build process as like an MS build step? Or like, what is the normal flow there? It's currently an ahead of time tool. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's something that actually runs every time we do a check-in um, to the Reactive UI project. It runs against all the, the platforms that we support and generates the assemblies uh, based on that current version of the, the dependency that we have. And what does something like data binding look like to a, a user consuming, you know, reactive UI? Like I'm, I'm, you know, pretty used to how I do data binding in like Xamarin Forms or something. Do I have to completely change how I, I kind of view that or what does that look like? You do not have to change. Um, you have the option of changing um, because reactive UI provides its own uh, binding infrastructure that has some advantages of its own. Um, firstly, it's uh, it's entirely code-driven, so that you, you know, you don't have this, you don't have this um, need to switch to XAML to do your binding, uh, and therefore you have the advantages of IntelliSense when you do when you set up your bindings. You have the advantages of nice refactoring, just working, and it it also makes it much much easier to do conversions. Uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with the the process of having to create a uh, a value converter. For XAML bindings, yes. <laughs> it gets quite quite annoying. Uh, whereas with um, reactive UI bindings, you can actually do it in situ. You can, uh, you know, just provide a lambda that takes the value from the source and converts it to the target value, or you can create a, a class that represents how to do that more generally, and then register that application wide, um, so that any binding can take advantage of that particular conversion. Yeah, that makes sense. Like I know, like one of the things that gets tiring really quickly with value converters, just in general, um, and I guess the advantage of doing this completely code side um, is that you can use things like lambdas to to define kind of inline conversions. Then, right? Because I know that like any significantly complex app or even moderately complex app that wants to do value conversion where all your bindings are happening in in markup layers and things like that, is you quickly end up with just like a an ocean of 
value converters doing little specific things just for like one little spot in a UI, right? Mm -hmm. And that just, it really just pollutes things in my opinion. Yep, totally. And that's, um, yeah, one of the advantages, like I said, of being able to abstract out these, these this conversion logic into a class and then register it application-wide, um, you know, it's, it's really great. So then is that, does that mean that 100% of bindings have to happen then at, at the code side layer? Are there any options for for bouncing up to the, say, the view layer? Well, not the view layer, but the, the markup layer if you have that, even if, if you want to do something simple? Yep, you can, you can intermingle with both of those things. Um, you're not uh, forced to use one or the other. Because at the end of at the end of the day, it's just a, a property on the view model. Um, the the view doesn't really care you know, how that how that gets bound. It's it's the property changes um, and it raises the property changed event just just as it would uh, in a normal MVVM app. What about with uh, commands? Like, do you guys do anything special there? We do. Uh, we have a something called a reactive command, uh, and there are several types of those, but um, Basically, the idea is that we provide an I command implementation that also has a reactive interface. So, for example, it has a, an is executing property, which is an observable of bool. If you want to incorporate that into a, another reactive pipeline, it's very easy to do so. You don't have to do any translation from uh, I command to uh, a reactive interface yourself. You, you've already got it. And likewise, there's you know can execute. The reactive command itself implements iObservable, uh, and every time you execute the command, the result of that execution comes through that observable. So that makes it really easy to take to take these commands and incorporate their execution results into another reactive pipeline. Well, so I think that 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 definitely sets the stage in terms of you know how this how reactive UI compares to say traditional MVVM and what a lot of the the binding pieces are like and commands and things that you'd be. Uh, pretty familiar with from any other MVVM framework. So I'd be curious to, to dig in a little bit to, to some of the reactive UI specific things. Like what, what are the, the main sort of building blocks, would you say, of, of what makes up reactive UI? Like what are some of the concepts that you have to, to learn and, and things that you need to know to really take advantage of uh, you know, building reactive apps? Well, I think probably a couple of the most commonly used things would be the when, when any operators. Uh, and these operators basically take a property or a number of properties and turn them into observables. So you can say, you know, when any, I mean, it's hard to describe code in audio format, but <laughs> yeah. you know, when any, and then you give it uh, the property as, a, uh, as an expression. So, you know, X goes to X dot and then the property name, and that will hook into that properties uh, hook into the property change for that property and then give you uh, an observable that changes or fires that property's value every time the property changes. So it's kind of like um, a compound uh, you know, property or something like that. Yep. And it, it does even more than that. It, it, you, can, you can pass in any number of properties. So you can say when any uh, and give it you know, the username, the password, and then if either of those properties changes, it'll execute your logic, which you provide as a lambda, uh, and it will pass in both uh, the values for both of those properties. And therefore, you have a, an observable that you know, gives you the value of whatever you've calculated from those properties every time either property changes. So the, the when any uh, operators are actually kind of a, a family, if you will. There's, there's when any, which 
gives you um, it's kind of the gives you the most information. Um, but most of the time, what you care about is the value. So there's when any value, which you know pulls out that value for you. There's when any uh, observable, which does a similar thing for properties that are exposing observables. So you know, imagine you've got a property that is is, is exposing an observable. Uh, you want to know whenever that observable provides a value, but you also want to know if that observable itself is swapped out for another observable. That's what when any observable observable allows you to do very easily. Uh, and there's also something called when any dynamic, which is even more powerful and you know, allows you to do run um, dynamic determine at runtime what you're hooking into. When any and uh, when any value in particular are very commonly used. Um, I guess the other thing that's very commonly used is to property, which is kind of the the opposite of when any. Um, instead of taking a property and turning it into an observable, what to property does is takes an observable and turns it into a property. Um, it does that through a helper. So by calling to property on an observable, you're actually getting back a helper class, um, and that class has the uh, or stores the the latest value that's received from the observable um, and gives you a very easy means of uh, then exposing that as a property. So if, if I had a, uh, you know, like a traditional model or view model and, and wanted to do kind of traditional binding, would I, you know, use kind of bind it to that property that I've created as a two property? Is that kind of what that's there for? Or? Yes. And, and by calling to property, um, Reactive UI is also saying, hey, when this thing changes, I'm going to raise property changed event for that property on your behalf. So one of the other things that, that I think is worth talking to in, in terms of some of the, the building blocks is like some of the, the scheduling and timing mechanisms that, that are inside of Reactive. Can you kind of speak to those? Because I know in, in my experience in looking through Reactive and, and finding really good use cases for it, that, that, that's always one that, that kind of jumps out to me of, you know, this is something that the Reactive world just makes really easy and expressive for things that are very complicated and hard to do otherwise. Yeah, so one of the things that Reactive Extensions um, does for us is formalizes this concept of time. So, uh, you know, traditionally using the TPL or whatever, um, if we if we had time-sensitive code, we have no, really, no real control over that time uh, from outside that code. Uh, it is very much bound to the system clock. Whereas with reactive extensions, if if we use something called a scheduler and we make sure that our scheduler is is something that, that we can dependency inject, then we can take control over time, if you will, because by default, we would use a scheduler that is bound to the system clock, just as you'd expect. But from tests, we can pass in a scheduler that virtualizes time um, and we can control, essentially we can control time. We can We can tell the scheduler uh, to move forward, you know, 10 milliseconds, and then we can run some assertions to make sure that, you know, what we would expect to happen in those 10 milliseconds has or hasn't happened, uh, and then we can move it forward again and and do more assertions. Um, so it it gives very fine grained control uh, and very deterministic control uh, over time, um, which is really empowering uh, for a lot of modern user interfaces where you've got things that need to happen at specific times, you know, user starts typing, we don't want to kick off a search until, you know, a second has, has passed since they last typed. Those things have become very easy to test. Granted, your, your earlier point of, from earlier is correct. It's very hard to talk about code 
in a, an audio podcast. And that's always like, I think, you know, we've been doing this for five years and that's been one of the, the things that we battle basically every episode. Um, but, but I do think it's worth potentially trying in, in, in this case, just to, to kind of accentuate that, the time expressivity there where, I mean, if I was writing tests around, around my application, you know, you know, and we do this, we do this at work for a lot of our stuff too, where you just inject you know, a mock clock into your classes, and then you can use that in your tests and say, okay, the time is this, the time advanced to this. Um, and I think that's one aspect, as you described, of, of what the, the scheduling system in Reactive does. But um, there was another side of it that, that you mentioned of the ability to roll forward and events would happen as a result of that. Um, like what are, could you describe like, a, like, maybe is there an example that comes to mind of like how you would leverage that practically in, in a test and in an application just to kind of try and tie some of these things together. Okay. So, so going back to that search example that I, that I mentioned briefly, um, the way this would look from code is that the, the view model, uh, would take an, an I scheduler as a dependency and it would use that scheduler for any, uh, any RX operator that takes a scheduler basically, because if, if an operator has a dependency on time, it's, it will usually, I uh, say usually, it will, it will always take a scheduler so that, so, so that you can uh, control that time. Um, so assuming that you're taking a scheduler and you're passing that through to every relevant operator, your view model is then abstracted from time. And so what your tests look like is that they can uh, pass in their own, it's called a test scheduler, um, and this comes with, with RX. Uh, and it's essentially a virtualized scheduler. So you, you create your own test scheduler, you pass that into the view model as a dependency. Um, and then in your test, you can do things like uh, you know, test scheduler dot advance to or advance by, and then give it you know, time span dot from milliseconds 10. So it's going to jump forward 10 milliseconds. And you can also do things like tell it to, to just run all scheduled events. So you can just say test scheduler dot start, and that will uh, execute everything that's been scheduled. So, I mean, getting back a little bit more to to the structure of RxUI in general, um, you know, how opinionated is RxUI? Are there conventions that you know you might be able to override? Um, you know, are there base types that you kind of have to inherit from? What what kind of conventions are there baked in? There's certainly um, base types that that you need to be familiar with, and and certainly reactive object is is one of the the main ones. Um, you know, if, if you want to hook into a lot of this functionality that we talked about, then you do need to inherit from Reactive Object. Um, for the most part, it tries to to, it, to to be a kind of pick and mix framework. Um, you take what you want to use. Uh, for example, if you if you want to use the routing infrastructure, then you can. Otherwise, you can just ignore it. Um, that is the case with a lot of its features. I don't know that it it, it has a lot of conventions really. It's um, yeah, it's it's more of yeah. Choose what you want. Choose your own adventure. In your experience, like how do, how does that end up playing out for for a lot of people? Like in this sort of scenario where that you have this this pretty big framework overall that does a lot, be it the the view binding stuff, navigation of routing, like you mentioned, all the scheduling stuff. Um, you know, and bits and pieces could be useful in probably basically any app. Like, do you see more pe most people like picking and choosing little pieces, like maybe just pulling in the timing stuff or do most people just kind of buy into the the whole stack? I think from my experience, what ha tends to happen is people uh, get hooked on a particular feature, like the when any operators that we talked about. Um, that acts as a bit of a gateway uh, to Reactive UI, and then they slowly 
uh, take on more and more um, of its infrastructure, uh, swapping out you know what they're currently using with with Reactive UI. There are parts of Reactive UI, admittedly, that aren't uh, as strong as they should be. Routing is one of those. Um, that's something we're aware of and something that um, you know will luckily be improved uh, in the future. And so in practice, like how does how does that play out then? If you want like like let's say I had uh, a Xamarin Forms application that used a bunch of stuff in Xamarin Forms, I'm like, oh, some of this reactive stuff looks cool. The any looks really cool. Maybe the scheduler looks really cool. You know, is is it really easy to start mixing those pieces into a, a more traditional MVVM kind of application? Or is there any like any known like gotchas or roadblocks that people could be aware of? I think the main gotcha would be uh, having to inherit from Reactive Object. Because if, if you're already using an, another MVVM framework, chances are it has its own base class. So I, I would suggest that the, the easiest way to, to kind of bring Reactive UI into an existing project would be to do so with a new view, new view model um, in isolation from the rest of the app. And that would certainly play along just fine. And to kind of flip that around a little bit, um, going back a little bit to, to what we mentioned earlier of, you know, maybe, again, maybe some folks aren't aware that they're doing reactive-ish style programming, um, you know, but there there are a lot of concepts here that people might not not be aware of. There's, you know, a lot, basically a lot of just what we've talked about now, right? There, there's these new classes, base classes, interfaces, you know, observables, um, all these things. So the the learning curve um, can can seem pretty steep to someone coming into this, like, how important would you say it is for someone to fully grok all of the the RX stuff to really get the benefits of of RX UI or or to get any benefit out of it? Like like how how far up that learning curve do you need to go to to be productive here? Well, the good news is that you d- certainly don't have to fully grok it. I mean, I'm not sure that anyone does apart from the creators. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it it's it's certainly useful to have a foundation. Um, but I feel like reactive extensions is one of those things where uh, you, you can solve a problem in, in many different ways, and it, it's it's kind of a journey. You you know you, you solve a problem in a certain way, and then a couple of months later you learn about a new operator, and that you know a light bulb goes off, and you're like, wow, I could have solved that in a different way. That's that's somewhat better. But um, that does not negate the uh, the value you got out of it solving it the previous way, right? So. It's, I guess it's a difficult question to answer and specifically, but I, I would I would suggest that people just have an understanding of the foundations. You don't have to know uh, every single operator. You probably just want to know the basics that you already pretty much know from from doing any link. Just kind of thinking about that sort of thing a different way, like sort of along the same lines. Like, do you find that the, does the framework tend to to lead you into being successful? Um, you know, in your experience, like, you know, once you learn some of those basic things, like when any and some basic observable stuff, do you find that it's kind of easy or difficult to, to feel your way into to more of the, the right kind of patterns and building apps the right way? I think, yeah, certainly concepts start to click and, and you, you start seeing things differently and, and it makes it um, much easier to solve more difficult problems as you gain more experience with the, with the paradigm. Oh, it's it's certainly there's certainly like you said a learning curve, but it's a very rewarding one. I would say a, a rewarding journey to go on, um, and and you find that you know this stuff is applicable everywhere now. I mean, reactive extensions has has taken off in every ecosystem. Um, so learning it, uh, you know, in C Sharp and .NET is going to be valuable pretty much everywhere because it's the same 
same concepts. I guess the only real difference is that there's some naming changes across the ecosystems, but yeah, all the concepts are the same. Now, one of the things that, you know, is still, I think, rather important, especially in the, the mobile world in applications, you know, is still size, um, performance, speed, you know, startup time, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm curious what kind of overhead, you know, somebody who chooses to bring RX in general and RX UI uh, into their app kind of faces uh, in terms of, of the mobile ecosystem, especially. Yep. Um there's, there's definitely an overhead to any abstraction, um, and and one of the, I guess one of the traps um, that you can fall into as as you learn reactive programming is to is to try to apply it everywhere. You make every view model reactive, and and every collection within that view model is reactive. Then uh, it's technically possible, but of course you're paying a big price for that. Um, so one of the uh, the challenges is figuring out where the reactive does. Uh, the reactive design starts, and and to what extent things are reactive. It could be that uh, instead of instead of a, a, an item in a collection being able to change, maybe the maybe the whole item itself is replaced, uh, or maybe the the entire collection is replaced. Maybe that's the more efficient option for your particular application. Um, so figuring out these things uh, is is certainly critical to coming up with the right performance profile for your application. In my experience, that the the performance hit tends to be higher on Android than on iOS. I, I also know that there's a lot of work going into RX4 to to improve performance. Um, I've not uh, had a chance to kind of play around with that at the moment, so I'm not sure what effect that has on on mobile apps just yet. And I guess similar to, to what I was talking about before, um, and to the extent that that it actually makes sense to do in in an audio forum, like really, really, I just want to like help listeners kind of distill what it looks like and feels like to actually build uh, an app with with RxUI, right? So so like let's to the extent that we can like like let's talk through an example of of what an app looks like in terms of maybe the the layers involved or the process of, you know, creating the projects and and getting it up and running. Like like what is what does an application really end up looking like when you go down this route? Um I mean you you have the option of having a single project really. Um, you could lump everything together into, into a single project. I tend to have uh, view models in one project, um, services in another, uh, and my UI components in another. But yes, your your view model logic is uh, you know, it's entirely possible to do that as a net standard project. Uh, Reactive UI itself is net standard 2.0. So yeah, you, you lump your view models into a, a view model project. Uh, it would typically depend on another project that has services, uh, which would also be net standard. And then your view project, uh, obviously it would just reference your view model project in the same way you probably would with any other framework. And I'd be curious to hear too, a little bit of the, you know, again, because I'm me, I have to be the, the guy to ask about testing. Um, uh, and I know like testing and testability is, you know, we, one of the things that, that RX kind of like flouts as, as being a, you know, one of the big advantages of taking this approach, and, and we talked through the the timing side of it, um, but are there any other sort of advantages you get from from taking this reactive approach in terms of the testability of your your services or your view models or anything like that? I don't know that there's anything that we could claim that you, you you can do with RX that you can't do elsewhere. I think it's more about enabling and and uh, kind of formalizing things and making it a bit easier. And that's true of Reactive UI as well. Of course, there's nothing Reactive UI does that you can't achieve without it. It's just 
um, making your life a bit easier. So you, we talked about you know React UI uh, being supported on a whole bunch of platforms. I don't think we actually went through and listed uh, you know the particular platforms of interest, especially to maybe uh, the .NET developer. Um, you know what what does it all support? Or maybe we should say, are there any platforms that it doesn't support yet, and, or and maybe plans to support it? There was work going on to to support Tizen. Um, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that that work has actually been merged, but I, I can't really speak to that. Um, that's about the only platform I can think of that it it may not support. Uh, it really does support a lot, um, even WinForms, um, of course, WPF and Xamarin, Android, Xamarin iOS, Xamarin Forms, UWP. So all the big players are there. That's cool. Is, it, is there any eye towards any of the... The like WebAssembly side of things, which is kind of like all the rage these days. It seems like every every framework's trying to get some WebAssembly UI to to their MVVM framework. Like, do, does Rx UI have any eyes on that? Uh, not officially. I know I know Jeff, Jeffrey Huntley has been uh, all over that as well. So um, I'm sure stuff will happen in that space, um, but I don't know that anything's going on right now. So, well, speaking of Jeffrey and, and other folks, like like we said at the the top of the show, you know, RX RX has been around for for what, like a decade, a little over a decade now. Um, you know, RX UI has been around for for a long time at this point as well. Um, it wasn't even brand new when we talked about it five years ago. But I, there's been a, a it seems like there's been a variety of, of folks come in and out of the community, like different people at the helm. You know, as Paul Betts was doing that for a while then he he moved on when he's stopped working with it day to day um like what what would you say the current state of the project and the community around it is these days like it is it is it in a healthy place is it you know under active development like what does that look like right yeah, now? yeah it's, it's been really encouraging actually um to see uh, all the the activity going on because um, I, I took a bit of a step back um, after finishing my book. I just need a breather. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> I, yes. I can relate to that. <laughs> um, but yes, there's been a whole lot lot going on, lots of people getting involved. Um, you know, to, to what extent I can, I can you know, take a little bit of credit for, for that from uh, uh, inspiring people from my book, I don't know. But um, it's, it's certainly been picking up some steam. Um, so that's, that's great to see. And is there anything exciting coming down the pipeline? Any new kind of features you could talk about? Um, you know, what what in general is next for RxUI? Um, I think the the main focus right now is is kind of solidifying what we've got, um, tying up any any known bugs um, and any any kind of platform gaps. Uh, there was talk of, of doing a performance focused uh, release uh, in, in V nine. Uh, I'm not sure where things are at with that, but I, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure the the plan hasn't changed there. Uh, beyond that, the, the, you know, there was also talk of, like I mentioned earlier, um, improving the routing subsystem. So that's something to look forward to as well. Uh, beyond that, I'm not really sure. Cool. Well, the the beauty of open source is you could just go kind of check out what's going on, right? <laughs> so if, if anyone wants to get involved, actually, there's a, a Slack channel that they can jump on. Uh, reactiveui.net is the the website to go to and you can find links to everything from there awesome um so is there anything that we we missed along the way that we should definitely call out um in here and i'm not we don't want to to make you like ruin all the value of your book and give away all your secrets and stuff like that but uh you know is there anything that we we either glossed over or missed in terms of you know what what reactive ui is is all about 
Uh, I think we got the gist of it. Um, yeah, I, w- I will say that um, one of the one of the goals of the book was to fill a void in terms of sample code as well. So th- the book comes with a kind of an extensive set of samples uh, that I think are, are very useful to to kind of grokking reactive UI. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think we've pretty much covered it. Awesome. And yeah, like I said, like that, that's one of the things that I personally appreciated about the book and, and something that I, I also found lacking in, in terms of a lot of the content that's out there. Like it, to me, it's one thing to, to look at, you know, a conference talk that kind of introduces some of the basic concepts and all of that. Um, you know, it, it, it's a leap from there to, okay, here's how you build an actual application using these and, you know, composing different pieces together to, to make an app that you can maintain and, and augment with new functionality and all of that. Um, so I definitely uh, appreciate that Great. approach for sure. Right here. Cool. Well, thanks so much for for coming on the show. You know, it shouldn't have taken us five years to do another reactive UI episode. Hopefully, yeah. if we're around in another five, hopefully we've done at least a couple in the meantime. Uh, but th- thanks so much for, for chatting today, Kent. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. And thanks as always for listening. And we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile.